Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhame, Dr. Joseph Kay, and Brandon Straza, as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting-edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Business Barriers. Uh, first off, let's make sure we thank our our folks at Open Media Source. They've got a great platform for us, as well as uh, the team over at Expanse Financial Group, and then our buddies at American Option Insurance. Having said that, thanks all once again. And with me today, got a gentleman that uh, entrepreneur his entire life. Cool story. So you youngsters out there, um, I think you'll, you'll, you'll learn a lot. And if you were thinking about making a change from working in the office or maybe being in business for yourself, I think Andy will have some, uh, have some great insight for you. But uh, Andy, work. first of all, where can we most easily find you on social media, Andy? Hey, Brent. Thanks for inviting me today. And uh, on LinkedIn under Andy Warwick or Andrew Warwick. W-A-R-R-I-C-K, uh, certainly on Facebook, both my business page and personal. Very, very good. And Andy, how about uh, letting the folks that are, that are listening to the Breaking Business Barriers podcast, why don't, why don't you let them know a little bit about you? Well, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and uh, in 1983, was looking for a job. I was a year and a half out of college. First, I sold real estate for a year, really enjoyed that down the coast in Corpus Christi. Moved back to Dallas, and at that point was proverbial chewing on bread, going from high-rise to high-rise, looking for any company with real estate or finance in the, uh, in the uh, uh, signage, and literally just walking in and handing out a resume, looking for any kind of job I could get. And uh, finally, I walked into an office at the old North American Mortgage, and the manager there had just uh, taken over a new manager in place, had cleaned out the house, had laid off every loan officer, was starting from fresh to scratch. And he was going to hire 12 loan officers and put them through a uh, three-month training program. So he offered me a draw at $1,500 a month, and I thought I was rich. And so I accepted the job on the spot, and that's how I got in the mortgage business with no idea uh, what the mortgage business was about, how you made a living. I just saw that $1,500 draw and went for it. They could buy a lot of pizza back in those days. It paid the rent, sure did. <laughs> so unintentionally, but then intentionally, you, uh, if I recall correctly, you were steadfast on that opportunity. And you made it very, very clear to the person that extended you that offer. Is that correct? Yeah, Brent, that, that day I'll never forget. The receptionist uh, was the one that took my resume and walked back and handed it to a gentleman and came back and said, yeah, Michael, see you. And so I walked into his office not knowing anything about the mortgage industry. And, and so in a five minute overview, he kind of laid out the job description. Uh, but the only thing I heard about was, the, the only thing I heard was the $1,500 draw. But at some point he started talking about how loan officers made commission and their commission split and how some of the Houston loan officers were making, you know, 20,000, 30, $40,000 a year. And I thought, okay, well, it's not great money, but, um, but still the 1500 is what drove me to be interested. So I go back home with the information he gave me and sat down and started reading about mortgage banking and, 
and got my calculator out and put in some numbers and thought, well, that's, that's not right. And I did it again and, and a third time and my eyes kind of lit up and I realized while I was in his office thinking out loud, I'd put the decimal in the wrong place by one point and realized that those guys weren't making 20 and 30,000, they were making 200 and $300,000 a year. So I got back in my car, drove back to see Mike. It was Friday afternoon at 4.55. Receptionist said he's getting ready to leave. And I said, well, tell him I want to talk to him before he goes. So he came out in the lobby and, and I said, Mike, I want this job. And he, he said, yeah, I know you told me that. And I said, no, I want this job and I'm not leaving here today until you tell me I got it. Uh, naturally, that was pretty appealing to him because he's looking for aggressive salespeople. And, you know, the carrot in front of the stick, I had no idea a human being could make that kind of money doing this thing called mortgage banking. It was like a, a quiet secret that nobody had ever heard of, none of my friends knew anything about, and I was sold. You know, from that point on, it was how many hours can I work a day and, and how much money can I make and how much fun can I have? So <clears throat> following college, you, you go in and you close your deal with uh, on that first offer that you were really excited about, no, no doubt. So you youngsters out there, and I know we have a lot of them that uh, tune in weekly to listen to entrepreneurs like yourself, Andy. And certainly um, anytime that someone's being paid on production, such as uh, when you started out, that is an entrepreneur um, in training, but you certainly went from in training to into the fire pretty quickly. You know, uh, to me, I feel like sales was always a natural process for me. I just wanted to make sure I was selling something I believed in or, or felt was a good deal, but I was the first in the office and I was last to leave. I, I was excited about it. Uh, I was very enthusiastic and I read a lot and I paid attention. And, and so it was a, uh, it was a process. There was a, a goal to be met that was getting a, a loan and closing it and you got paid. And so I just, it, to me, it was, you got to put in a lot of hard work, but if you put in the hard work and if you're good, you're going to get paid. And it's not a, uh, it's not a complicated formula. However, our industry is so nuanced. It, it's so strange in that we are the salespeople of our industry. And, and yet our job is incredibly detailed and complicated with both financial and process operational aspects to it. It takes a unique individual, I think, to, to check off all the boxes. And it's not just the hours that you put in. You, you can be a good producer and a lousy loan officer. But, but it takes a combination to be both. And it takes a few years to learn how to balance that out. But for me, straight commission was a way to go because in those industries, when you're paid straight commission, you have the highest opportunity. And I've never, I've never regretted that decision. No doubt about it. And you know, looking back X number of years ago, it's amazing how you remember the detail and probably the look on your manager's face when, when you were closing. I mean, you, you, you closed the deal, but quite amazing you know throughout your career you started when uh when it, there wasn't a whole lot of paper involved into a, a mortgage loan to um to the years in advance as the industry's evolved and, and in a lot of ways good but in a lot of ways it makes it very very complicated as you referenced but you've got to know finance you've got to be an expert marketer and you got to be great with people and then hustle and grind like what you reference Andy, the uh, talk about, you know, it's a rewarding career. You know, I can, I can see it, I can see it. I'm here with you doing this podcast, 
there's been a lot of a lot of wins. Is there a uh, is there something that comes to mind that put goosebumps um, or raises the hair on the back of your neck that you can think of? Good or bad? It's, it's, <laughs> let's keep it both. <laughs> let's keep let's keep it uh, let's keep it real because there's a reason why you've endured and continue to work hard and, and lead others. But you talk about the reward of getting someone into a home. And I think that is, uh, I think that's quite amazing. It's American dream. So I've hit some bumps in my career and I've had some starts and stops. And uh, uh, at one point in 1989, I decided to try and get out of the career because my first five years were made up of being in Texas. And, you know, starting in, in, in 1983, it was Texas was a huge growth state and I was with a builder oriented mortgage company and all that came to a screeching halt in 86. We uh, were doing great and I was making great money. And all of a sudden all the MI companies pulled out of Texas and we went from being a purchase builder oriented mortgage company to being a refinance company. And we did the first FHA streamline, which was a whole story into itself. But after a year of refinances, then rates shot up. And again, we're on the beach broken and, you know, busted and, you know, there was no business in Texas. You could not buy a home on a conventional basis unless you put 20% down. The rates had gone up, so we didn't have the FHA streamlines anymore. And this was the second or third time in a five-year career that I found myself really challenged, not by my own efforts or my company, but the, the circumstances. So I tried to get out of the industry by going back to school, and I, I went back and got an MBA and to try and make myself more marketable. And, and then I went through the interview process and realized that the industry was extraordinary. Um, there were very few industries that I could duplicate that type of freedom, flexibility, and income. And so instead of leaving the industry, I went back to it with a piece of paper that uh, I guess qualified me in some people's eyes for a management opportunity. And I was very fortunate that I got a really great one at that time. Um, so, you know, at one point, I, I've got to tell you, I really felt like trying to leave it because it is an extremely challenging industry. And due to the, the nature of interest rates and cycles, you have great years and you have bad years. And it takes a little while to learn that in the good years, you got to salt it away. In the bad years, you just got to hang on and, and because the market's going to come back. But within that, within that cycle and, and the, the, the experiences I've had, it, it, what I've always enjoyed about it is, is helping people buy a home. Because it, if you think about it, you know, buying a home is where you're going to create a life and you create a life for your family and friends and entertaining and, and having a place for your kids to be sick and play in the backyard and buy a dog and all the, all the stuff that we all know about. But so many times, Brent, we forget about that. You know, we're looking for the next deal. We're challenged with the FICO score. We forget about the, the people that we're working with. And, and honestly, some people can be very difficult to work with. They're not always, they're not a lot of fun. But, uh, but it has been rewarding because I've always kept in mind that, uh, that it's a process that results in somebody getting a house. And one of my, my favorite stories was you asked about the, the type of that really affects you. Um, in 1993, I went to refinance. A friend went over to his house to take the application. And it was a, wasn't a friend, it was an acquaintance that I'd been introduced to. And, and I asked him, why are you refinancing? Which is a standard question I asked everybody. Are you looking for cash flow, just a better interest rate? And he looked at me and he said, um, I'm just looking for a home for my son to die in. And obviously I, 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 I stopped. I, I never heard anything like that. I was totally unprepared for it and asked him a few questions. And here's the story. 
he and his wife had bought a home four years earlier, 4.7 years earlier on a five-year balloon. This home, uh, the, uh, the loan was going to balloon in, in two and a half months. And he was a minister, made about 40 grand a year. His wife had a better job. She made about 75,000 a year. And um, they needed to refinance, but his wife had passed away. A year and a half earlier, his wife and two infant children had been involved in an automobile accident and in a terrific, a horrific story. Um, they all three received a blood transfusion from the old Wadley blood bank and had been infected with AIDS in the process. Um, his infant died almost immediately, uh, two or three months. His wife passed away a year later, and he was left with his son, who was about seven years old, who had terminal AIDS at that time. And so he didn't have enough money to qualify because of the balloon was coming up and they'd lost a major part of the income earner. And so in those days, we had an underwriter that would manually underwrite a loan. We didn't have DUNLP. And it was a good loan to value, but the, the ratios were way out of line. And so I walked into her office, explained the circumstance, and put the file down her desk. And about an hour and a half later, she came into my office and, and put the file back on my desk and walked out and never said a word. I opened up the file. She had approved it. Her name was Carolyn. And if by any chance she hears this, I uh, hope she remembers this. I've certainly never forgot it. You know, she didn't have to approve that loan, but she, she looked at the individual and anyway, bottom line was she approved the loan. And it was, it was one of those times that you're really glad to help somebody out. And I don't think anybody else would have, and it was just a great story. And uh, so there's been a, quite a few like that, maybe not that dramatic, but a lot of times we, we've got people into homes when probably no one else could have. And it, it's an incredibly rewarding experience to be a part of that. Yeah, and the term loan officer, as a title, it's in my in my opinion, it's loose. It's very loose out there. You've got an, like you mentioned earlier, and you really have to know what you're doing. You're a consultant. It's more than just refinancing, or more than just someone buying in, buying a home. There there are certain products and programs that fit someone's life, and certainly that's a that's an awful dramatic story, and. Uh, which probably leads to my, my next question. What do you feel is your superpower, Andy? I like people. Um, I, I really enjoy the, the borrowers that I work with in spite of some of their, uh, their personality quirks. I always keep in mind that it's not their job to understand the mortgage industry. It's my job to help illustrate um, some of the rules, guidelines, what we go through. But I can tell you this, after years and years of doing this, um, one of the things I really enjoy being is a debt manager on behalf of my clients. They don't always see that uh, the impact a 30-year amortization can have compared to three, five, seven-year amortizations on cars or boats, um, student loans, credit card debt, all of that thrown together. And I see it on a regular basis. So I've had people come to me and want to buy a house that's outside their budget. I've had lots of people come to me in that circumstance or whose credit profiles weren't great. And, and basically by putting them in the right application, sometimes it's better off to go FHA and save the down payment and pay off some credit card debt. Sometimes you need to stretch and get the conventional loan for various reasons, FICO, but, but basically taking their overall financial picture, giving them the best advice possible. And, and I will share with you, I feel very strongly about this. 75% of my business is affiliated with mortgage banking, 25% people. People come to us and they, they want to get overextended. 
they're they're not thinking right. They want to buy the maximum amount of home possible, and and talking people off the ledge and pulling them back a little bit, I believe, is something that uh, I believe is in my job description uh, because I'm hoping to see them three or four or five years later on their next purchase or on a refinance. And so, you know, I, I really enjoy hearing their story. Each one is different. You got to dig a little bit deep to sign find out all the resources and the pitfalls, but uh, being a debt manager on behalf of my client, I think is a great job description as a loan officer. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Now you've gone from the early days of this business when, when uh, an underwriter would be sitting there and underwrite right in front of you and, and make that decision to uh, today. It's pretty high tech, wouldn't you say? It is. And it's been a great, neat process to go through because um, in the eighties and nineties, we didn't have uh, FICO scoring and didn't have automated underwriting. Everything was manual. And, you know, as, have, as those, those things have changed in our industry, it's been difficult to grab hold of the technology that you believe is truly going to stick and, and, and be required imperative to be a part of our industry. But I'm the type of person that um, I don't think I, I don't consider myself a techie, but each and every step, it seems like the technology has made our job easier. And when you get to today, oh my gosh, what a, what a difference just the past three or four years has made. You know, we started out with a improvement from, you know, taking manual applications to putting information on computers. And, uh, and, and that was, there weren't laptops back then, it was just desktops. Then we moved in the world of, um, uh, of laptops and then came what I would call credit scoring and then DUNLP. And, and really after that, it didn't really change a lot you know, for about 10 or 15 years, we have lots of program changes and we had subprime and things of that nature, but the technology was basically DU and get bank statements and pay stubs. And now today in the past three or four years at Loan Depot, where I work at, um, about 25% of our files, we don't have to get pay stubs or W-2s. We digitally verify somebody's employment, which is really fun. Uh, because they can't believe that they don't have to give us any income documentation. And about 45 to 50% of our clients are um, executing the technology required for digital bank statements. So 45 to 55% of our loans, we don't get bank statements on. And another thing that's just happened in the past, uh, really the past year, we've gone from, well, we're up to about Right now, we're 50 to 60% of our conventional loans, 90% and under, 90% LTV and under, we aren't getting appraisals on. We're getting appraisal waivers on. So um, it, it's been a really fun time to figure out how to use the UNLP the right way um, because we utilize a dual AU, AUS platform at Loan Depot, which has significantly increased our appraisal waivers. So today, um, we're having to work smart. We've got some really cool tools with technology that make the loan officer's job a lot easier, manage the pipeline, and in the refinance uh, boom that we're going through the past four weeks, all of a sudden, it is not securing applications. It's not loan production. Uh, the name today was the pr primary responsibility and primary objective is operational execution. And now we're seeing these this tech technology that we've implemented the past two or three years is having an incredible payoff uh, because we're able to put through a lot more loans a lot quicker with a lot less labor all across the all across the uh, spectrum all the while enhancing that client 
and uh, probably taking them off the ledge a little bit. You've, you've helped thousands of people, and, and if whether they're buying their first home or their 10th, it's still intimidating. It is, but you know, we've made it so much easier. For 30 years, we just beat people up. We wanted letters of explanation and, you know, every bank statement with a printout, not missing a page. And now I, I want to say um, probably 60, 70% of our clients are experiencing one, at least one aspect of this new technology. They're not having to, uh, they're not having to document their income or their assets or get the appraisal. So we're actually made it a lot easier. And so the process is not as stressful as it used to be for them. And that certainly makes our job easier. Yeah, and uh, the idea of technology is uh, through artificial intelligence. And, and that's, a, that's a term that's probably loosely used, whether what industry or not, but it, it works. It does, and, and it's scary because there's two pieces of, of technology that I know that we're working on, or not working on, we're, we're in beta tests right now, which is artificial intelligence combined with digital recognition. And, and again, I'm not a techie, but I can tell you that when, when a, uh, a software program can read my pay stub and, and, and calculate the income off the pay stub, so I don't have to um, provide an income calculation for the underwriter, the underwriter doesn't have to write the uh, underwrite the file from an income standpoint of view or asset. I mean, it's it's a bold world out there because what it allows us to do is give information to our clients a lot quicker, much more accurate with a lot less effort. And the next iteration of this, it, our company is coming out in 60 days or about 30 days from now, uh, what we uh, call our conditions engine. And I fully anticipate at that time that we will will improve our efficiencies by about 40 to 50% in this one release. So and it's going to incredibly, it's going to affect the customer in an incredible fashion that they'll never even know about, especially the new ones. Millennials will love that idea. Yes, they will. So, They're so not going to know what they missed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and all of us that have bought homes throughout our lifetime and, and I'm sure you're shaking your head. Yeah. Sometimes it does feel, uh, that there's so much that's necessary or being provided, but in reality, it's uh, it, it's always been there, been needed, and there's certain nuances. But in in uh, today's world, uh, those those companies that are really taking their investment into technology to make life easier on on their clients and a, a much more happy customer at the end of the day when they're in that house. Yeah, and I believe, Brent, we're going to see a tremendous <clears throat> reorganization in our industry in the next uh, four or five years for this reason. Technology is not cheap. And our industry repopulated itself in the 2008-9 um, years <clears throat> with a lot of companies that were not large banks and large corporations. They were some really smart, astute, good business people. Um, nevertheless, they didn't have a hundred million dollars or don't have a hundred million to put into technology. And what we've seen in other industries is there's been this tremendous consolidation that we're all aware of, um, you know, from the Amazons and, and all the, even prior to Amazon, we've seen so much of the clothing industry and, and fashion and whatnot, uh, this consolidation of the top four or five. And oftentimes it's because 
a given industry, it takes 50 or 100 or $200 million capital investment to create a separation between um, performance within the industry. And I believe that's where we're at today. We're at a point where some uh, companies have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in a technological platform that is that are going to separate themselves from the from the smaller lenders and it's not necessarily right or fair but it is a reality and i believe it's coming so we all have to be aware of that uh in the next five to you know three five seven years our job descriptions are liable to change um, you know people want to do business with people you're not going to sell a home through a computer uh, people still want a realtor to go out and show them a house they may not want to pay a full commission to sell one but even in that process, they still need help uh, when they sell a house and buy one, and they want help when, they, um, when they're getting the financing to purchase a home. But it doesn't have to be the exact same job description between two different companies. Some companies are going to have a much easier process than others. Yeah, and that, that's right. Well, let's, uh, as we begin to wrap things up, Andy, phenomenal, phenomenal, um, you know, over the years, the adjustments that you've made. But that one particular fork in the road where you decided to go get your master's at SMU, of all yep. places, mm -hmm. great job that you've got that. Did you make that decision to get back into, after that, after you received your, your master's, to get back into the mortgage banking industry? Was that decision made with your head or your heart? Head. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'd been through two or three huge cycle changes, both in the market and in the um, in our industry. Uh, first, there's the real estate market, and then there's the, the interest rate market. And what I decided with my head at that point of view, at that point in time, was that if I was gonna continue in this industry, there are gonna be a lot of ups and downs, and I needed to understand the long-term perspective. And, and I also felt like within our industry, if you had a willingness to, to read guidelines at night and work on the weekends, you could always make a, a good living. So I've, I've used the analogy a, a thousand times um, in the old, uh, um, what was it called, the uh, Iliad? Uh, when Ulysses burns his ships, uh, uh, when he's uh, under the siege at Troy, he made it impossible for the army to go back. Uh, I made the decision that um, when, if it came to a downsize in the industry, my job was to put the other loan officer out of business, either through a work ethic or figuring out a smarter, better way and I made the commitment, this was gonna be my career and I wasn't gonna change, period. You know, sometimes it was tempting to go into commercial lending and you know, we get all sorts of opportunities because we've got such a great spectrum of skill sets that could translate to so many different industries. But this has been a great one. And um, you know, it requires, uh, a, a, requires a mind with financial um, acumen but you always have to have that, those people skills and, and it's very difficult to duplicate. So I feel like the longer you're in this business, the better off that you are, the, it makes you a better loan officer. And so it's, it's had its ups and downs and I've made a few decisions I wish I hadn't. And I made a few that were just outstanding and, but I never decided or never thought about leaving the industry. It was just how to make the next, next best decision. Well, in my, my opinion, you're leading the industry. You, you can share your wealth of knowledge with uh, your team members that work with you day in, day out. And I think they're, I think they're very fortunate to, to have someone like yourself leading, leading the charge and they, they can rely on you for, uh, for
for some insight and, and, uh, and knowledge. So my hat's off, tip of the cap to you on that because uh, uh, not everyone has that. Well, thank you, Brent. I yeah, appreciate that. Ab absolutely. So what's next? As we, uh, we're getting ready to wrap up here, what's next, man? You, what's next on the agenda? What, what's, the next, what's the next rung on the ladder that you got your eyeball on? And Because and, uh, um, you, you, you're going to stay climbing. You know, uh, <laughs> I almost don't want to answer that because right. sometimes you want to, uh, you don't want to answer your shortcomings, but I did not grow up with social media. You know, I, I did not grow up with technology. I had to, when I went back to school, I had to buy a laptop when I went back out my MBA and had to pay somebody to show me how to turn it on. And so I've, I'm in that generation that, you know, we're still working um, in a, a new world, but we weren't raised in it. So um, I think in the next four or five years, our society will change, our business will change, and we have to adapt to what the consumer wants. The consumer wants a certain experience um, in with our, the way they purchase things. And we've all seen that with Amazon. So in a world that you can pick up your phone or your laptop and order something, have it your, on your um doorstep the next day and you can do it in 60 seconds and the shoes fit or you know it's the exact right component that you purchased we're going to be challenged to match that type of experience in the mortgage industry so um, what we're trying to do at our company is to anticipate what the consumer wants deliver that that experience that they're looking for as best we can and and i'm excited about the opportunity of melding the new technology with the expectations of the consumer and, and I can't think of a more exciting time to be in our industry because the next two or three years are wide open. If you're willing to embrace the new technology and learn how to um, manipulate it or, or become an expert at it to deliver that experience the consumer's looking for. All right, man. Social media, podcasts, yeah. you, you, you name it. It's pretty it's cool, great. but it, it is a great way to get out there. And, and it, it gives people an opportunity, in my opinion, social media, whether it's social media, podcast, YouTube, whatever it is, to get to know you. And, you know, you mentioned people, a people person. It's not you standing up on a podium, beating your chest and say how good it is. It's just genuine you. You bet. And you know what? In today's world, I think it's going to be about screen sharing and Zoom presentations and making it easy to go face to face with the consumer, uh, to reassure them, but also to let them know about, uh, if we're doing a renovation for a veteran or the type of refinances we're doing, the debt management, that's all done better if they have a degree of trust in you. And that's, uh, we have to learn how to use our technology today to, to uh, create that trust in a world that um, is, seems to be separating on a social basis. So clients don't come into our office anymore. That doesn't mean that we cannot go the extra uh, step to enable them to see us face to face, whether it's on a computer or across the table. That's right. That's right, Andy. And before we, uh, you're speaking of veteran, uh, before we conclude, I want to tip the cap to your son who's in the Army and uh, thank him for, for his service, certainly. I, I admire our uh, men and women that are out there today, active I, or uh, retired. Thank you, Brent. That was uh, his decision. But, uh, you know, from being a Cub Scout, Boy Scout, now then an Eagle Scout, and decision to join the army. It was one that his mother and I were certainly worried about, but um, it's been a great experience for him and uh, he should be getting out in three or four months and we're looking forward to that. So uh, thank you. Ex excellent. And remind everyone, Andy, where they can find you 
most readily on social. Uh, if you uh, Google me, I'm Lone Depot in Plano, Frisco, Texas, and also on LinkedIn and Facebook are the best ways to get hold of me. And you can find my cell phone any of those places. And your spelling of your name? Andrew Warwick, W-A-R-R-I-C-K. Very good. It's been a pleasure, my friend, having having you on Breaking Business Barriers. And before we uh, before we shut it down, let's make sure we thank our sponsors, our friends at American Option Insurance, Expanse Financial Group, and our platform provider, Open Media Source. With that, salute onward and upward. This is your host, Brent Duhan. You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information, or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source.